look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a special NFL draft preview show. I've got four experts to talk to you about where they think everybody is going. And just a clue, we really don't know. That's what makes it a great television show on Thursday night from Jerry World down in Arlington, Texas. But we've got Adam Schefter of ESPN, Albert Breer of the MMQB, Mike Garofolo of NFL Network, and Greg Cosell, the excellent draft analyst from the NFL Matchup Show. So, a couple things before we get into our guests. You know, every year I do a mock draft, and I always sort of pride myself on you know, trying to talk to as many people around the league as I can to try to get, uh, you know, as much knowledge as I can. And one thing has been pretty common this year, and that is because three of the first four picks are controlled by very secretive guys. Uh, John Dorsey, the new general manager of the Cleveland Browns, has picks one and four. Dave Gettleman, the new general manager of the New York Giants, has pick number two. So, how in the world are you going to know what you're talking about and predict things accurately if you're missing one, two, and four? It's just not happening, folks. So enjoy the fun on Thursday night, but don't necessarily look to see all the experts being correct. I think we're going to get put in our place this week. But the one other thing I want to talk about just in general is that you know, just the element of surprise and why... I'm kind of glad that John Dorsey is not leaking. I'm kind of glad that uh, that uh, Dave Gettleman is not leaking, and even the New York Jets are being very good in sort of playing their cards extremely close to their vest. And the reason is, I want to wake up Thursday morning and not really know what's going to happen. Isn't that what makes sports fun? You don't know who's going to win the game. You don't know what's actually going to happen when the whole thing starts. I think that makes it really an awful lot of fun. But I think this year what makes it even more fun is that there are so many teams that are so desperate for this draft to go right for them because they desperately need a long-term quarterback. Just think, this is the 20th draft for the Cleveland Browns since 1999 when, remember, in 1996 they left to go to Baltimore. And so... In you know, in '96, '97, and '98, uh, they did not have a football team in Cleveland. They they got their football team back in 1999 and drafted Tim Couch first overall. Well, it's been a succession of failures ever since then, for whatever reason. But that's why this year, again, 20 years, 
without getting the quarterback right. It is incumbent on John Dorsey, the new GM, to get it right this year. Will he? And I think the most interesting thing about John Dorsey is that he's got a very good track record for for uh, drafting players high in the draft. In Kansas City, he did pretty well there, and he's really going to need to go two for two in this draft for the Browns to get out of the muck and mire. I think in an ideal world, he would take a quarterback, maybe Sam Darnold, that's who I have them projected to take, and to be able to trade down just a few spots if he can and then take Mike McGlinchey, the tackle from Notre Dame, who I think could step in and replace Joe Thomas at left tackle from day one. I think that would be the perfect outcome for the Cleveland Browns, but we shall see what happens on Thursday night. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun day, a fun draft night, and the NFL is going to have it on about every channel in the world. Uh, so you'll enjoy it on uh, on Thursday night. And please, next week, I'm going to have a special draft podcast. You're going to want to come back and listen to it. No spoilers, but I guarantee you next week that you're really going to enjoy this podcast. So let's go. And now let's start with our conversations. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Fortunate to be joined right now by ESPN NFL reporter Adam Schefter, also ESPN NBA reporter, had a had a fun on court interview with LeBron James a few weeks ago when he when he asked him who should the Browns pick number one, and I don't think LeBron was quite ready for that question. I think he gave you every name at the top of the list, Adam. But it was kind of a cute uh, cute story. He knew the names, Peter. He knew the names. He knew yeah. a lot of the names. I was I was impressed with his NFL draft knowledge in late March. Yeah, he's a kind of a draft nerd. Um, well, Adam, you are down uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area preparing for the draft. We are taping uh, on late Tuesday afternoon, and you're preparing. Uh, you're on the phone. You're uh, talking to people. And I saw a couple of things today that I thought were interesting. Number one, you believe that the Cleveland Browns are very much in play uh, with uh, you know, with not just one quarterback, but but also yeah. Baker Mayfield. It sounds like you won't be shocked if it's Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, or Josh Allen. <laughs> well, let's leave our options open, Peter. Look, and you hate to ride the fence and not be more specific. The problem is, the truth of the matter is, is here really one guy knows John Dorsey. Okay, and he may have by now. He may have told the owner of the team, Jimmy Haslam, but he might not have. And I think John Dorsey has an idea of what he's doing and has known what he's doing, but it's not information that he is readily and quickly sharing with other people. And if that is the case, then then we don't really know. Now, all I was told today, and I was told this by a couple of different people, is that Baker Mayfield had been in the conversation for them, okay, prior to that decision. And I think part of this is that they are working, John Dorsey's working with um, Scott McLuhan, the former Redskins GM, and he is a big Baker Mayfield fan, big. And so he's got an important voice in that organization. And again, how much weight that's going to carry in the end in their decision, we'll see. But all I can tell you is that before they made that decision, I believe the decision is made that they gave strong consideration to Baker Mayfield. We'll find out Thursday whether that was enough or not, Peter. 
but he definitely was in the conversation. Yeah, Albert Breer had a, had a good line for me earlier today when he said that he really thought from talking to people he talks to around the league that, you know, if Mayfield were a couple inches taller, uh, he'd certainly, yep. pro- he might even be more in play in Cleveland, than, or he might even be more than just in play. Um, yep. Adam, uh, if you had to, uh, if you had to guess right now, just give me your gut feeling top of the draft right now, Browns, Giants, Jets. I guess today, Peter, you know, I really hate to guess because you could ask me an hour from now and I might have a different answer uh, based off the next person I speak to. So it's just such a moving target. It is so fluid and it is so difficult to get this sort of thing right all the time. Um, I guess the one thing that I would say to you is, look, you know, we we feel fairly certain the Browns are going to go quarterback, right? Um, And that's the one thing that I think we all feel pretty good about. My guess would be, that it, it's Sam Darnold, but I, I, that is, I want to emphasize that's purely a guess. Yeah. I don't know that to be true. Now, if it turns out to be Baker Mayfield, then I think Sam Darnold could go number two. If it turns out to be Sam Darnold at one, I think that we see Saquon Barkley at two. And if it's Baker Mayfield at one and the Jets are at three and it's Mayfield Darnold, I, I think the Jets at that point in time, uh, might go Josh Challen. Uh, you think you so think many- at this you think at this point though that there's a pretty good shot that of the top five picks there's a good chance that four of them could be yeah. quarterbacks. Well, again, I'll go by what much people much smarter than me are telling me, Peter. Right, and so there was a GM uh, about an hour ago who told me that he thought he thought there was a fifty percent chance fifty five zero that four of the first five picks would be quarterbacks. Doesn't mean it'll happen, but that tells you that we're going to see a run on quarterbacks early. Not a big secret, right? We know the Browns are taking a quarterback at one. We know the Jets are taking a quarterback at three. We know the Broncos are in a position where they want to move their pick. And all it would take is one other team, either the Giants or the Broncos moving out, to mean that there's another quarterback going. So, yeah, we're going to see a bunch of quarterbacks go early. Maybe it is four. Maybe it's three, but it's hard to imagine that it'll be only two. One of the things that I'm hoping for somehow, some way, is for Mayfield to be there around five because I want to see huh. if I want to see if John Elway has the discipline to pass on a quarterback who I think he loves. Uh, and and you know the w- what I had in my mock draft the other day is Arizona, which you know. I'm hearing that Steve Kime absolutely loves Mayfield, the Arizona general manager. How amazing it would be to see a trade up from 15 to five or 15 to six, uh, you know, for the Cardinals to get to get him to get Mayfield. So, I I would agree with you. I, I I think if even if picks one through four come off the board without a trade, I still think five and six could be explosive positions. Yeah, and, and look, the Colts, they've already moved back once. I don't believe they want to move back too much further. I think they want to stay within a certain range. So I think Buffalo or Arizona would have to get even higher. I don't know that Indy would be willing to go back to 12 or 15 um, without a huge offer. So Denver, we know, is interested in moving back. They're open to that at this point in time. And, you know, I, I wish, Peter, that we could be more specific 
have more concrete answers. It's just hard. It's just hard, right? Like John Dorsey is not going to show you what he's really thinking right now. And Dave Gettleman's not telling anybody. Yeah. So we're left to make our best educated guesses. And that, that's why I always feel bad for poor mock drafters and why I try not to do one because you're in a helpless position. You know, one thing that's wrong leads to the collapse of everything all over. It's, it's just a very difficult thing to pull off. It's, you know, I, I wrote the other day, I mean, I think honestly that Gettleman and Dorsey, they control three of the top four picks in this draft. Uh, it's an uncertain draft to begin with, and those two guys both, I, I'm convinced, could have worked for the CIA. They're not telling their mothers. They're not telling their wives. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a few years ago when when uh, everybody's jaw dropped when Dave Caldwell, picking third, picked Blake Bortles, the quarterback from Central Florida, when no one had them picking, I don't think, anyway, no one had them picking Blake Bortles. And, you know, he told me that night, he said, I didn't tell anybody until 11 o'clock this morning. Nobody, not even my family. You know what's not- funny? I, I spoke to the Jaguars that afternoon about 5 o'clock. Yeah. And I spoke to them for about a half hour, I remember, and the name Blake Bortles never came up. Yeah, I mean, but so, look, I think you can keep a secret if you want to. And more and more, I always laugh at him. The first year I ever covered the NFL, 1984, the day before the draft, no internet, no anything. Uh, Sam White, I was covering the Cincinnati Bengals, and Sam White sat me in his office about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He says, okay, get your pad out. And he told me everybody they were drafting round by round. And, And incredibly, like I got seven guys the next day. My sports editor, I walked into the office the day after the draft, and, I mean, he wanted to kiss me. He goes, oh, my God, you're unbelievable. How'd you do that? And I said, the coach told me. He told me every pick. <laughs> it wasn't too hard. You know, it's funny. One, one year I was covering the Broncos, and uh, and I, I talked to one of their staffers, and uh, the staffer gave me, like, literally every guy that they liked in every round. And I remember talking to the great Jim Sacamano, who was vice president. And Jim, would, you know, he'd always call, what, what do you know? What do you know? I said, well, Jim, here's what's going to happen today. In the first round, uh, you're going to take Willie Middlebrooks. In the second round, you're going to take um, – who's that guy that they took in the second round as a defensive – Toviesi. Third round, Reggie Hayward. And I literally laid out to a man by round, like, the guys that they were considering. And so all of a sudden, the draft is getting ready to begin that morning at 8 a.m. Mountain Time, 10 a.m. East Coast Time. It was back in the day when it was on a Saturday. And, and Mike Shanahan summons me to his office to explain – how I had the intel on each of these guys in each of the rounds. And it was very uncomfortable. Uh, I had to obviously protect my various people, Peter. Yeah. But to explain, you know, where you're getting these names from, you know, the coaches don't like to know that the information that's going on in their building is compromised in any kind of way. Don't you think that's and, why Mike Shanahan kept Jay Cutler so incredibly close to his vest? I knew that one, Peter. Oh, you that did? Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. But no, wait a minute. Hey, here's my question: Did you? Did yeah. you? I, I where I don't know where you would have been working then. But did you break it before the draft? Uh, that year, I was working, I believe, in NFL Network. Yeah. And no, I, I didn't bring it up. But I believe, if memory serves me correctly, NFL Network came to me when the Broncos were on the clock, and I said, "Don't be surprised if this is a quarterback." Yeah. You know, one of those things. Yeah, yeah, and that's good. Bam. And it was Cutler. Yeah, that's um, great. Well, Adam, listen, let's you know, let's talk. Yeah, let's just we we we've got a couple of minutes to go. Let's talk yeah. just for a moment 
about something that you think will be a big surprise, maybe a team that you think is going to succeed in being able to move up, maybe a team that might be able to to trade somebody or trade for somebody during the draft. I mean, do you have much of a gut feeling as we sit here uh, 48 hours now before the draft starts as to what we should be watching for Thursday night? I think we're going to get some teams in there. Keep in mind, Peter, uh, there are some good teams that are missing some picks, right? So Seattle at number 18, uh, once it picks, once it's scheduled to pick at number 18, isn't scheduled to be on the clock until the fourth round. The Eagles are missing picks, I believe, in the second and third rounds at number 32. So they, too, would not go again to the fourth round. So to me, when we hear about teams coming up, I think Seattle and Philadelphia – a prime candidate to trade out and move back in the draft to try to recoup some of the picks that they gave up. You know, I think I think we'll get some guys that go higher than normal. I think we'll get some guys that go lower than normal, like in every draft, right? Like I think you got like a Mike McGlinchey would go pretty high in this particular draft for the potential for him to go high. Um, so uh, I think Mike Hughes, the cornerback, could go a little bit lower than people are expecting right now. He's a great talent, but I think some teams have some questions about him right now. So we'll see. Um, Lamar Jackson, if I... Yeah, fascinating, right? If I gave you... If I said, all right, go to Vegas, give me over-under on the overall pick for Lamar Jackson in this draft, what would it be? I think we'd have to set it at 15, right, Peter? Like right smack in the middle. I'd set it a little. Round. I'd set it a little bit lower, but I definitely think he's a first round pick. Oh yeah, no, I, I'd be surprised if Lamar Jackson does not go in the first round. There are just too many teams that need quarterbacks, and he's too much of a talent for him not to go there. Right. So the question is where? And oh, look, Buffalo's right now twelve. Arizona's at fifteen, I believe. And so to me, you look at those two teams. And if there is a team that wants to trade up and try to get him, um, you know that that, that would scare. So again, I'm setting the over under pick fifteen, roughly. Yeah, that's good. Is, right, right near the middle of the first round. Last question: If there's a player who you think is going to go in the first round, but who either mock drafters or the cognoscenti around the NFL <laughs> have not either mocked or predicted to be in the first round, I used Frank Ragno, the guard center yeah, from, uh, from Arkansas. But is there yeah. is there a guy who you think people are sleeping on who's got a good chance to be a first round pick? You know, how about this? I think DJ Moore could be drafted ahead of Calvin Ridley. Is that is that a surprise? That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, I like that yeah, one. I, I, I actually I, I, I actually had him going higher than Ridley through no. I don't have any inside information. Yeah, but I just I accept that I did hear that Dallas liked his return capabilities as well as him being a receiver. But, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I think McGlinchey may go higher than people think in this particular draft. You know, like people talk about him, you know, mid to late first round. Uh, we'll see what winds up happening with him. Um, yeah. But, Peter, the one thing about it is there are always surprises all across the board. It's what makes Thursday night so great, Friday night great, Saturday the wrap-up interesting. And I don't think it'll be any different this year. I think I really do believe that this is one of the more, one of the more highly anticipated drafts 
that people are anxious to see how it all unfolds. Adam, can't thank you enough for joining me from uh, from Texas, site of the draft. We'll be watching ESPN Thursday night. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Enjoy the draft. This is the MMQB Podcast. There's a new boss in town at Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. It's the Bacon Boss Burger, featuring bacon three different ways and a blanket of white cheese sauce. I think this is just what you need for draft night. And he's joined by other new favorites like the smothered cheese steak quesadilla, sweet chili shrimp, and Alaska Cod Classic. All pair perfectly with a Sam 76, the fruity ale with a crisp finish of a lager. I'll tell you, I've had that Sam 76. As you may know, I like beer, and I like this Sam 76. Hurry in today and try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Available for a limited time while supplies last. Please drink responsibly. And now my conversation with the MMQB's Albert Breer. Back in the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined by uh, my compatriot at the MMQB, Albert Breer, who is in New York as we tape this on Tuesday evening. He's in New York for uh, SI and the MMQB coverage of the draft. Uh, We're going to let Albert tell you all about that as we go on. But, uh, Albert, uh, let's start, if we can, by, uh, in your mind, going into this draft, what makes this draft so compelling versus other drafts that we've seen in the last few years? I don't think the quality of player that you're going to get throughout the first round is quite what it was in, say, 2014, last year, 2016. Um, but the quarterbacks make it interesting. And so, to me, the way that so many things hinge on what the Giants do at two, um, you know, we know the Browns are taking a quarterback at one. We know the Jets are taking a quarterback at three. Uh, that is just, you know almost right away the draft's going to turn one way or the other. If the Giants take a quarterback, well, then we could have quarterbacks going one, two, three, four, and there could be a frenzy for that fourth pick. I mean, Dorsey could be getting calls from Miami, from Arizona, from Buffalo for that fourth pick. If the Giants pass on a quarterback and take Saquon Barkley, well, then all of a sudden you could have someone sliding into the bottom of the top 12 picks. And so I think just kind of the chess game where you have these teams that are further down the line that really need quarterbacks that are facing pressure to get quarterbacks in Buffalo and Arizona. And then, you know, you've got a couple of wild card teams in Denver and Miami that could take one, but might not. I think that's what makes it compelling is that I think all of these teams are sort of playing this game of chess against each other. And the guy who's holding all the cards is Dave Gettleman, because he's going to determine which way the top 12 or so picks. Right. The Giants general manager, he's sitting there at two. Let's just go a little bit rapid fire, Albert, as to what you think Mm -hmm. we're going to see. Uh, We're going to start at number one with the Cleveland Browns, obviously a quarterback need. Uh, I projected Darnold, but it's, it's a mark of this draft that quite honestly, I changed my mind about 8 o'clock Sunday <laughs> night. I was giving him Josh Allen, and somebody called and said, do not do that. And I respected the guy so much, so I said, okay, I'm giving him Darnold. But where do you sit right now with the Browns? I think Baker Mayfield's a real possibility. Um, you know, I wrote this almost two weeks ago now that when they were going into their draft meetings, you know, I asked somebody there, I said, is it Darnold versus Allen? And they said, no, it's there's someone else involved too. 
And so I know Adam reported earlier today that they were considering Baker Mayfield, and I think Baker Mayfield is very much in the mix. And so I have trouble pulling the trigger on Baker Mayfield. I'd have trouble putting his name down in a like in a Word document, the same way I had trouble putting Josh <laughs> Allen's name down in a Word document. There's something that feels right about putting Sam Darnold's name there. I don't know. It's just safer. It's the old it Mayock. Feels th- like- it's the Mayock theory. Yeah. I mean, you can't screw this up. You've been screwing up quarterbacks <laughs> for 20 years with the Browns. Come on. They got to get it right. It just feels like, like it just, you put Josh Allen in that slot, you put Baker Mayfield in that slot, you're like, I just don't feel comfortable about that. And then you think about a guy sitting there in John Dorsey. And if we get it right or wrong, whatever. If he gets it wrong, like in three years, he's out of a job. So it's just like the, the the comfort level I think that you have with Sam Darnold. I mean, look, everything that I've heard is that it's going to be Josh Allen, which is why I put him number one in my mock last week. Yeah. But man, like I, there's still part of me that thinks it's going to be Phil Darnold. Phil Savage had a great point to me. Phil Savage, obviously, the GM of the Browns from 2005 to 2008, he's the one who chose um, Brady Quinn. Uh, I think in 07, if I'm not mistaken. But um, he had a great line, and he said, because I said to him, so what do you think? What's your gut feeling? And and, and, And he said that, and it makes a lot of sense. He goes, if you know that Tyrod Taylor's probably playing this year, and you're okay with that, and you want your draftee to get a redshirt year, wouldn't it be smart to take Josh Allen knowing that he's not gonna have to play for like 18 months? And I yeah. said, now that makes a lot of sense. I, but the only question I would say is, how about just the fact that he might be doing it for two different coaching staffs? So yeah. is it really an advantage to have a redshirt year with a well, coaching and, staff who won't coach you next year? And here's an incredible statistic, okay? How many quarterbacks have not started a game? How many first-round quarterbacks this decade have not started a game as a rookie? I, I can't. I don't know who would be. Who would it be? Who would one. it be? Which one? Jake Locker. He's wow. the only one huh. the entire decade. That's and a are, great and, stat. And there are, lo- and there are yeah. lots of best laid plans where you heard with Blake Bortles, we're going to redshirt him. What happens? I think he was in there the fourth game. Yeah. You heard with Mitch Trubisky, we're going to redshirt him. What happens? He's in there the, the third or fourth game. You heard it with Deshaun Watson, we're going to redshirt him. Tom Savage is our starter. What happens? I mean, Deshaun Watson was in there in week two. I think the difference with Kansas City last year where they actually were able to give Pat Mahomes a legitimate redshirt year, they were in contention. Yeah, and so if you're in contention, then you don't. There's no rush to throw the guy out there. Yeah, and if you're you know you're going you're, you're six and two, and then you're eight and four or whatever, then there's no pressure to play the kid. Is Cleveland going to be that team, or is Cleveland going to be sitting there at four and six, or three and seven, in the middle of November with the first overall pick sitting on the bench? It's a lot harder to actually. It's it's a lot it's a lot harder to actually go through with a redshirt year than it is to talk about one in April. Let's just go very quickly. Yeah, that wasn't rapid fire. Yeah, let's go. One. No, but let's go rapid fire. Two or three okay. sentences on each of the picks. Tell yep. me, tell me the Giants at two right now. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I've been told by a couple smart people who know Gettleman um, to just pay attention to what he said about gold jackets and pay attention to what he's saying about wanting to really cash in that second pick. His point about gold jackets was that at the scouting combine this year, he said, if you take a guy yep. number two in the draft, you should be thinking that's a Hall of Fame player. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And, but but and you and I have both divined that to mean, Saquon. well, how can you, how can you pick a, a quarterback when, 
you have no idea which one of these guys is going right. to make it or make it big. And so, and so I think fa- we both feel safe. And we, we talked about this earlier today. It's, you know, this is really a fork in the road for the franchise because it's, if you take a quarterback, you're starting the clock on Eli. If you take Saquon Barkley, well, now you've just entered into maybe this two or three year window where you're all in. And so that's why this is such a big decision, besides what you think of the players. Because I think everybody thinks Saquon's a great prospect. There are obviously holes with each of the quarterbacks. So much of this, I think, has to ride on how much do you think you can get out of Eli Manning over the next two or three years, and how much do you think that you can get out of your roster over the next two or three years? Jets at three. I think it's Mayfield, unless Darnold falls to them. And then I think it's a real decision. But I think Mayfield would be the guy there. Browns at four. Chubb. And I think it might be Chubb, even though, even if Barkley were there. Uh, Broncos at five. So I know we've talked about this. I think Gary Kubiak um, and and some of John Elway's top scouts have his ear on the quarterbacks. If Baker were to fall there, I think he'd be a consideration. I think Denver looks very hard at the idea of trading down. If they don't trade down the two names, I'd give you Quentin Nelson and Denzel Ward. Um, and Ward, by the way, if there's going to be a surprise – like a shocker, like that, the like wow, he went higher than we thought. Keep an eye on Ward and the Browns. Like that's, I don't think that's impossible. At four, at four. Wow, that would be really high for him. Um, Colts at six. I think it's linebacker. If Chubb is not available, I wouldn't think Chubb would be available there. Roquan Smith I think it's, or, or Edmonds. I think it's Roquan Smith. Who okay. to me, you know, I've talked to a lot of smart people who say if you just watch tape of the guys last year there probably wasn't a better football player in the country than Roquan Smith. And so I think it's a safe pick and a, and a need pick for, for Chris Ballard. Jason Light and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number seven. I'm going to give you two names there, Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick. One's a little bit of a dice roll. Derwin James is like the, the comp I've heard for him is he is a more athletic cam chancellor. The problem is, is that he was dynamite as a freshman, got hurt as a sophomore, and then wasn't quite the same as a junior. So you're projecting out. Is he going to be better a year out? Whereas with Minka, it's like he checks every box, but the upside might not be as high. The comp I've heard for him is Malcolm Jenkins, which makes him a good fit in what they do defensively with Mike Smith. Chicago picking number eight. So you, the, the obvious thing is to give him Quentin Nelson, right? Because the, the the line coach Harry Heastan coached Nelson at Notre Dame. I've heard that they're a team that's been on been in, been in on Ward um, for a couple of months. And the wild card here, I think this is the ceiling for Mike McGlinchey. Like if Nelson's gone, they've they do have a need at tackle, and so I think McGlinchey would be just kind of the wild card in that spot. And. Uh... I would just ask, I just ask this question just about McGlinchey, Roquan Smith. I just I, I have a feeling that those two guys are going to get picked in the top ten, and I know that some people have each of them lower, and a, a lot of people have McGlinchey yeah. lower. But they just feel like, don't you sense when you talk to people around the league, those are guys who everybody's talking about now? Well, there are two things with that, like, and I agree with you. I think Roquan, you can you can see it. Like I had one guy who's been a GM in the league tell me he thinks he's Ray Lewis. Like, and I said, you know, well, Ray Lewis coming out of Miami. He's like, yes, this is this looks like what Ray Lewis looked like coming out of Miami. That's the player you're getting. And with McGlinchey, I think the big piece of this 
it's so hard to find offensive linemen right. now because of the way offense... And it's not a good year for tackles. It's not a great year yeah. for tackles. Here's the other thing. That line coach we talked about, right? Yeah. Harry Heastan? Yeah. Look at Notre Dame's track record. Ronnie Stanley's a pretty good player. Right. I love tackle for the Ravens. Zach Martin is excellent. Yeah. Right? For the for the Cowboys, you got Nick Martin starting at center for the Texans. So there's a good track record there, so, too. There's some late word that, that there may be an issue with... Um, Quentin Nelson's mm-hmm. foot from an old injury. I don't think that's going to be a factor. Um, but let's move to 9 and 10 now, San Francisco and Oakland. In many ways, Albert, what is interesting about these two teams, I could see them both taking a rangy linebacker. I could see them both taking an offensive tackle. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think the linebacker that I've kind of been – like the, the, this is like one of the ones where you – hear one name and you've heard it so convincingly it almost can't be true and that's Tremaine Edmonds who would be perfect to play the KJ Wright role and like they they run a Seattle defense and he'd be perfect to play that role he's 19 years old so he's going to get a lot better and he's you know physically a freak Oakland to me is really really interesting because I think they've had their eyes on Roquan I don't think there's any way Roquan gets to them Marcus Davenport is sort of the name that could be like that could be the ceiling for Marcus Davenport. He's the past rusher from Texas San Antonio, who was a who, receiver, who you wrote about in about September or October yeah. when you were writing about early stuff with the draft. And right. I said, "How can a guy from Texas San Antonio <laughs> go in the top half of the first round? What's right. that all?" And about? he's he's like physically a freak. Like he was a receiver who's sort of a late bloomer. And then the other thing I think Oakland looks at is defensive back. Um, I know they've done a lot of work on corners. So if Ward were to somehow slip there, he could be in play there. Minka Fitzpatrick's another name I think you have to watch there as well. Um, let's just go down to number 12. Let's go 11 Miami, mm-hmm. you know, 12 Buffalo. A lot of people have thought that each of these teams could trade up for a quarterback. I'm getting the feeling Miami now won't, yeah. but that Buffalo still wants to. Tell me what you're hearing. Yeah, I think Miami, so I think Miami would consider a quarterback if they fell to them. Like I think that could be the floor for Josh Rosen, who I think is the most likely of the of the four quarter quarterbacks to slip. Like so, if Rosen falls in their lap, maybe they pull the trigger. The name I've continually heard from on them is Vita Vey, the uh, the defensive tackle from Washington, who would fill a need. They lost in Dominican Sue this off season, um, and then at twelve. I mean, Buffalo's got to come away with a quarterback. Have right? to. They have to. So here's the thing: this they got to pay a ransom. And this is what's fascinating about this year's class, right? So we look ahead to 2019. All these teams do this, right? Look ahead to 2019. There's no Josh Rosen. There's no Sam Darnold. There's no Josh Allen on the horizon. It's we knew good. about all of those guys good. last year, right? So if you're Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean right now, here's how you have to look at this. Okay, we're already in year two. If we don't come away with one now. Then we're going into year three, and there may not be one next year. And now you're talking about going into year four without one. And they were in position to get a Mahomes or a Watson last year. So there's pressure on those guys to go and get one now. I've heard they like Josh Allen. Um, and I, Look, for either a Buffalo or an Arizona, if they're willing to roll the dice a little bit, there could be the short move up too to go and get Josh Rosen if he starts slipping. Yeah, because I think he would be the he's one. He's the could only slip. guy I think who could st- who could sink like a stone. But the but, more I think about it, man, I, I'm not sure that he will. I, I think I think somebody is going to figure 
if Rosen is sitting there like with the Colts, somebody's going to go steal Rosen. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Can you ever remember a year where there were so many different opinions on four of them? Because I like no, I feel like there's never. a there's it's, a lot of like there's there are a lot of years where there's two or three and then like Goff and Wentz there were different opinions on who's better right, right? right. last year Watson Trubisky and Mahomes what was were different opinions. What was interesting about Goff and Wentz though uh, is that I think most people liked Wentz better. They were just afraid of caliber of competition. Yeah. Whereas Goff obviously is a Cal guy. We're gonna get out on this. Tell me in your mind Thursday night midnight. What is everybody going to be talking about? What will the surprise be? What could happen on Thursday night that will make America's jaw hit the floor? I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to fall out of the first round. If he does, that would make my jaw hit the floor. I don't think it's impossible. I think if he gets past that cluster, that Buffalo, if he gets past that Buffalo, Arizona, Baltimore cluster. You tell me where he goes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that's that. and that's the thing. Like a lot of the teams that I talk to, at least. Say you know what I think, like- Albert. You know what I think. I think then that could be the position where somebody, if he's down there around 23, 24, somebody comes up. If out from I'm the wrong yeah. and the Bengals don't pick him, then if it's 23, 24, 25, then it'll be very, very interesting. Look, I, I, like, what team comes up to pick him? And don't get me wrong. Like I think he very well could go in the teens. I just know there are some teams that, just, that, that wouldn't touch him. Yeah. I know there are some teams that just wouldn't touch him. And there's a perception out there, at least, that he's got the like a pretty wide range. Like, could go 13, 14, 15, right. but could also go 40. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I think somebody will trade up into low in the first round to get him uh, if he's still there. But anyway, Albert, thanks a million for stopping in and enriching our podcast. You got it, Peter. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is exactly how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. It's a freebie. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com MMQB. ZipRecruiter.com MMQB. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. And now my conversation with the executive producer and on-air talent of the NFL Matchup Show, Greg Cosell. Back on the MMQB podcast with one of the people in this business I admire more than anyone, and that's Greg Cosell. He's the executive producer of the highly respected NFL Matchup Show, and in his spare time, 
He knows the draft better than anybody on the face of planet Earth. But anyway, Greg, thanks a lot for uh, making a few minutes for me on a Tuesday evening as we sit here 48 hours before the draft. Are you ready? I'm ready, Peter, and thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. So let's just start right now, Greg. I think everybody would be really, really interested to know, you know, there's four quarterbacks in this draft who people pretty much have conceded are probably going to go in the top 10. Um, Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma, Josh Allen of Wyoming, Sam Darnold of USC, Josh Rosen of UCLA, and who knows, uh, there could be some uh, Lamar Jackson sighting somewhere in the early teens. You never can tell. Yeah. But but I want to know, like, I've, and and I've always I've always valued your opinion as a guy who one day I've always thought that I might wake up and read a little headline. Uh, you know, uh, Cowboys named uh, Greg Cosell general manager <laughs> because I just think I just think you know these guys and study them with the eye of uh, you know of a respected NFL scout. But I want to know, can you give me who you think of those four quarterbacks? Who's going to be the best NFL player and why? Well, to me, Josh Rosen is the cleanest as we look right now. Uh, I look at Rosen as a better prospect than Jared Goff when Goff came out of California. I think Rosen has very clean footwork. He repeats his mechanics. He's got an easy, natural motion. He throws with anticipation and timing. Those traits, Peter, normally translate well. Now, the only issue with Rosen, and it gets to a larger question, which is something, as you well know, we never discussed 15 or 20 years ago. It gets to the issue of the balance between pocket efficiency and second reaction improvisational plays. Improvisational plays were never discussed with quarterbacks years ago. I can't recall, you know, other than Michael Vick, who was viewed as an anomaly, when Carson Palmer came out in 2003, nobody talked about second reaction improvisational plays. That now is part of the equation. Rosen certainly doesn't fit that category. Uh, Baker Mayfield is a quarterback that when I studied him on tape, I was really impressed with how well he played from the pocket. He's really a pocket quarterback. He is not a spontaneous quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback. Sam Darnold, to me, is is a little bit loose, a little bit, a bit undisciplined, a little bit reckless in the manner in which he plays. I think he has a lot of work to do. 37 and, turnovers in 26 career games. Yeah. Uh, Josh Allen, if we move to him, he speaks to the distinction between arm strength and arm talent. His arm strength is freakish. Arm talent is the ability to throw with pace, timing, touch, precise ball location. He needs work in those areas. It's interesting about Josh Allen. Um, don't you think that if Josh Allen got a true NFL redshirt year, a la Carson Palmer, in yeah. 2003 in Cincinnati, wouldn't you love, or I should say this, wouldn't you like his chances significantly better? Uh, probably, but I think there's a couple of things that he did not show in college and 
now you have to try to figure out if they can be taught. I would say that he didn't see the field real well at times. I would say that he didn't throw with much anticipation and timing. Now, he he didn't have a lot of easy throws in that offense. He didn't have as many screens, for instance, as other quarterbacks. And you have to take that into account when you look at completion percentage. But he's not a pure timing anticipation thrower. He's very much, and, and I think this plays to your point, he's very much like a young wild stallion who needs to be channeled with coaching and I think an offense that helps him with def- defined reads. Do you believe that Lamar Jackson will have to be a player who a team adjusts its offense to? You know, I think the NFL is moving in that direction without being specific to Lamar Jackson. I mean, look at how much now we see with all the misdirection in the backfield, all these backfield actions, whether it's jet sweep actions, whether it's outside zone actions. The NFL is moving in that direction, even with quarterbacks who you don't view as mobile. Look what the Eagles did with Nick Foles. So, no, I don't think that given the way the NFL is moving, that an offense has to be built specifically for Lamar Jackson. What do you do if you're Dave Gettleman at number two? Uh, <laughs> my, my investment portfolio, Peter, is not quite that large. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to decide that. Um, here's the way I would answer that. If you do not believe, and again, I don't know what he thinks, so if you do not believe that any of these quarterbacks are true potential Hall of Fame quarterbacks, then you cannot take a quarterback at two. The worst thing you can do is draft the position and not the player. I thought Ernie Acorsi Acorsi on this podcast last week, Greg, had a great line to me. I said, what would be your advice to the general managers looking for a quarterback in this draft? He goes, Tell him not to grade on the curve. Yeah, there it is. And I think we're making the same point. I think we've reached the point in the NFL because of everyone's belief in the importance of the position that people just draft the position, Peter. They don't draft the player. So you have to draft the player. So if you do not believe that any one of these quarterbacks is worthy of a number two pick, then you would have to take Barkley or Chubb, if I were Dave, Maybe this is controversial. I'm just giving you my opinion based on film study. I would take Bradley Chubb. Well, isn't part of that, too, that, you know, last year Alvin Kamara is the 76th pick. He wins NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Kareem Hunt is the 86th pick. He became he becomes the, I think, the third rookie in 30 right. years to win the NFL rushing title. So... But- you're going to find a really good running back, you, a very good chance you're going to find one down the road. Do you but have to take one side. number two? That's the flip side of the argument, and, and you still have to be careful with that because now you're drafting the position or not drafting the position, I should say. So you've got to be careful about that. This is going to be a draft where my guess is there'll be a significant number of backs who are top 40 on people's boards. You can't say to yourself, well, I'm not going to draft that back because you know what? Come pick 95, I'll get a good back. You don't know that. If you have players rated highly, you have to take them. You have to draft the player and not base it on, on some platitudinous abstract belief in the position either positively or negatively. But on the other hand, don't you also have to say, 
I I love Saquon Barkley, and obviously we're talking about Barkley here. But don't you also have to say I love Saquon Barkley? But to me, I think that the importance—it's almost—I hate to say it, and I, I you you probably faint at this, but but it's just like it's just like would you take a guard number two overall? Well, I mean, think of this, Peter. Yeah. Three backs have been taken in the top ten in the last three drafts. Todd Gurley, number 10 in 2015, Elliott, 4 in 2016, and Fournette, 4 in 2017. We could have this discussion, and that's why it's so much fun. We could have this discussion and go back and forth, but those three players are very valuable pieces of those three teams. Exactly. That's a great, great point. You know, I probably concentrate too much on the wealth of running back ability in the third round, let's say, or the second round. I mean, we we haven't seen what Joe Mixon will become, for instance. We, we you know, we haven't seen what right. uh, what uh, Dalvin Cook is going to become. You know, we we just haven't seen that. Um, and I think I think both those guys might have dropped for other reasons. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So who who knows? Um, with Greg Cosell of uh, the NFL Matchup Show, Greg. Um, one of the things I really wanted to get your opinion on that is not necessarily this draft related, but I recently did a graphic in my Monday morning quarterback column in which I said in the last uh, three drafts, no, I'm sorry, let's see, 15, yeah, the last three drafts, 15, 16, 17, you know, I, I, I had the, I think, 13 first round wide receivers. Right. And the only guy who has played consistently well and not not I mean he had a, some rough stretches last year is Amari Cooper the Oakland Raiders. So many guys who struggle early on. Now 2014 if we went back to that draft, we'd obviously see better production led by Odell Beckham Jr out of the first round. But tell me, why is it in your opinion that so many receivers struggle early on? in the NFL? Well, first of all, I think that receivers in the league can be schemed to be good receivers in the NFL, number one. And I think that a lot of receivers are probably rated more highly than they should be coming out. Um, There are only a certain number of truly special athletes at the receiver position. Secondly, I would say that the position in the NFL is so much about detail and nuance at such a higher level than it is in college football. I had this conversation at the Combine with Torrey Holt, and and that's the first thing he said to me was the detail and the nuance at the NFL receiver position so exceeds what it is in college that these guys literally have no idea. And I think based on so much spread. See, people assume, Peter, because there's three wide receivers in the NFL, that that means it's a spread offense. It's not like a spread offense in college football. The game is different. The symmetry of the NFL game is totally different than the symmetry of the college game. And one main reason is the position of the hash marks. So it changes the symmetry. So the NFL game for receivers, they are working in tighter quarters. And they it become it comes down to detail and nuance and understanding what you're seeing. And college receivers don't know that. Finishing up with Greg Cosell, Greg, uh, I wanted to touch on you know a couple of players. One one who you love, 
and one who you're really not sure about entering this draft. They're both first-round guys. But give me uh, a little bit of your take on both Leighton Van Der Esch of Boise State and also Tremaine Edmonds. These are both linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds uh, from Virginia Tech. Yeah, Edmonds to me is is a great athlete, and there's no question about it. You know, that's something I think we all can see. You don't have to study the X's and O's to know that. But I don't think at this point, and what you're drafting with him is the fact that he's very young. I think he's just turned 20 or maybe didn't even turn 20. I don't think on tape, though, he's a very good player at this point. He's a splash player. He's a better athlete than player. He's a major work in progress. I'll tell you what, I don't think he's as good a player are coming out right now as Zach Cunningham was coming out of Vanderbilt a year ago, and Zach Cunningham was a second-round pick. Uh, Vander Esch, to me, I, I loved watching him on tape. I knew nothing about him when I put the tape on Peter. I loved watching him on tape. He's long. He's athletic. He's rangy. Um, he's only a one-year starter. I think given that, you can see how much better he will get. I think he'll be a three-down player. Um, initially, I, I thought of Carlos Dansby when I watched Vander Esch, and I think he could be better than that. You know what's interesting about him? And look, I've watched 20 plays that he that he's played. But one of the things I heard about him at the Combine is of every player in this draft, just watch him. You're not going to see plays off with Leighton Vanderish. Did you see that? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I think he you know, he's one of those guys. He he just plays the game the right way all the time. He's got great movement. He's got size, length. He can match up to back to tight ends. He can run the seams with his speed. I mean, he's 255 pounds and over 6'4". I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's Luke Keekley because Luke Keekley is, is special. But I think with that kind of size, I think he could develop into a stylistically that kind of player. I've always thought this about Keekley and finishing up, but I've always thought this about Keekley that um, I'm a rank amateur compared to you and Hodge and Jaws and those guys over the years that you've sat with Lewis Riddick you know, at really scouting players. But the one thing, you can be watching your third football game of all time and say, how in the world did Luke Keekley know the play was going in that direction? I just think he's the most instinctive football player I've ever seen. And I know that takes in a lot of territory. Like you say, well, what about Ray Lewis? Well, Ray Lewis can't be better than Luke Keekley in instincts, at least in my opinion. No, and and I've always the word I've always used instead of instincts is play recognition because that's yeah. ultimately what it comes down to. He's reacting the second it happens, and therefore he stays ahead of blocks. Uh, and Keekley may be as good as as anyone that I can recall. Uh, you know, there's a lot of players, obviously, as you said, but Keekley is outstanding at it. Greg Cosell, really fun uh, to exchange some ideas with you and to talk to you, uh, and it'll be fun to watch a really kind of interesting TV show on Thursday night because I don't know what's going to happen. No, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. Greg, thanks a million. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. It's the MMQB Podcast. And now my conversation with the NFL Network's Mike Garofolo. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Happy to be joined by Mike Garofolo, an NFL Network reporter. He'll be with the Jets 
on Thursday, probably Friday and Saturday as well. Uh, but Mike also uh, is a co-host of Good Morning Football Weekend on NFL Network and one of the best uh, NFL reporters in our business. Great to be with you, Mike. Thanks a lot for joining me. Peter, appreciate that. Thank you for that intro right there. Okay. So you're going to be doing the Jets, and I think that a lot of people, uh, I, I mean, and I'm sure the Jets are wondering the exact same thing. As we tape this on Tuesday evening, I don't think anybody knows for sure. I mean, I think we all think that the Browns are going quarterback, maybe Darnold, maybe mm-hmm. Allen, maybe Mayfield. Giants may be less likely to take a quarterback, but who knows? They could take Darnold. And so here come the New York Jets at number three. Obviously, they have to wait to see what there is, but they're in a bit of a weird position. They could love a guy, and in 15 minutes, all their hopes and dreams with loving a guy goes down the drain because he gets picked. But tell me what you think the Jets are doing right now at number three and what their thought process is. Yeah, I mean, you're correct that they're in that weird position, but they put themselves in that weird position because they went from six to three. Uh, they made no attempt to trade up to number two. Well, I, I I gather that at least there were some feelers put out with the Giants to see what the uh, place would be, and, and the understanding was they'd have to give up another first-round pick, which they did not want to do. Um, so it, they, unloading all the second-round picks to get from six to three uh, put them in a position where – from what I can tell, uh, they, where they're comfortable with three quarterbacks and saying, okay, well, whichever one we get, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious to say that because why else would you be there? Um, so I, I do believe that late in the process when they brought Darnold in for a visit, uh, that actually Albert Breer was first to report, um, I, I, I believe that they were given some kind of indication that, hey, this guy might be available at three when, when we first thought that he wasn't going to be. All of a sudden, some uncertainty there. Uh, and they actually canceled the visits for some non-quarterbacks in the top of the draft because they said, everybody knows what we're doing right now. We don't want to waste your client's time. So they told the agent, um, you know, uh, we don't want to bring all the way here, and, and, and then we go quarterback. So I, I'm looking at it like, let, let's assume Darnold is off the board at number one. I'm looking at it like it's a real coin flip in my mind between Mayfield and Rosen. Uh, I have heard both ways, Peter, and I've heard both ways from people who I think would know, uh, which leads me to believe they truly do not know, and the Jets are at least hiding their, their cards on exactly which way that they would go. I know the coaching staff loves Baker Mayfield. Uh, and they love his competitiveness. Uh, they love the fact that there's still room for him to grow because he didn't run that prototypical NFL-style offense, and he can make plays both off-schedule, outside the pocket, and also inside the pocket. I mean, you know, it, 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 there's been some comparisons to Mandel. I don't think they're fair. Johnny made a lot of plays on the run outside the pocket. Baker Mayfield can throw from within the pocket, so I really think that that's the big key for him and why we're talking about him as a possible top three pick here. Mike, you know what is really interesting? I've I've maintained this, uh, I don't know, I've known Josh McCown for 10 years probably pretty well. Um, yeah. So Josh McCown looks to be the incumbent starting quarterback. He certainly is the incumbent. He looks to be the likely starting quarterback in September for the Jets. Uh, they've also got Teddy Bridgewater there, but Bridgewater obviously on a very, very incentive-laden contract with very few guarantees. But the one thing that that I think, if I were a quarterback in this draft, 
I would want to go where Josh McCown is. You know, yeah. I would want to go and suck every bit of knowledge out of that guy's 38 year old head so that I know that later in my career, I'll look back and say, I have never, ever, ever, I could never have ever been in a better position at the start of my career to have that. How much of a factor do you believe the Jets think is important for their whoever they end up drafting? Enormous, and I, I think that that's a big part why they re-signed him. Um, I, 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 I do believe that right now as we sit here, they intend for him to be their week one starter. Somebody could come in and completely uh, change their perception. I, it's not going to be Bridgewater. Uh, I think he fights for a backup job if, if possible. Uh, but, but somebody, meaning one of these guys, drafted. And, and I do believe that either Mayfield or Rose and obviously Darnold, uh, they, they want these guys to come in and push for playing time right away. That there's not going to be – they may not win the job, and they may sit behind McCown and learn, but they want the guy to come in thinking, okay, I can win that job week one – uh, if I do what I need to do. And it's not going to be a, a sit-and-learn type situation if I can control it. And, and Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen are both those kinds of guys. The confidence they have, the swagger that they have. Uh, Rosen's a bit little, uh, a little bit different displayed than Mayfield. Uh, swagger is displayed for sure. But, I, I look, McCown has gotten offers. Before he has the, had this renaissance as this placeholder quarterback, uh, he was offered... NFL coaching jobs, uh, so he could right. have cut his, his, league, uh, his uh, NFL career short and, and gone that route, and he will go that route someday. There's no question. In my six mind, or Peter, and six I know or seven, that. six or seven years from now, Josh McCown yeah. will be a head coach in the NFL. I mean, it's it's an express train, and if anybody could be driving that one, it would be him. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I I've got this feeling. I've I've talked to Josh Rosen for 25 minutes of my life. So I can't sit here and say, oh, boy, everybody's so wrong. But I just have this feeling, Mike, about Josh Rosen. I think he's been the victim of a whisper campaign where it's easy sometimes if one scout who everybody trusts says, yeah, I don't like this guy, too opinionated, anti-Trump, uh, oh, whatever. I, I, I just don't like this guy. And, you know, everybody, that's the opinion that everybody has. You know, um, does he really love football? All that stuff. The thing I'd be concerned about with Josh Rosen, honestly, is he he's had two significant concussions in his career. He's not a guy who's he's like Tom Brady. He's not going to be able to get out of his own way all that much in the pocket. That's what I would worry about. I wouldn't worry about this other stuff about him. What's the sense you get? And what do people who you talk to say? Yeah, I, I heard Mike Mayock talk about this yesterday. He was on a, a podcast with, with Barstool, um, and he said the, the, the talk about him being, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but too intelligent uh, to, to a lot of people, or having too many interests. Um, he's, when, when is being too smart a bad thing? He said that's ridiculous. And, and it's not necessarily, I mean, that's, it's not a question of intelligence. It's a question of, okay, if he's got that much intelligence and he needs to be engaged, um, is it going to be a problem? Is he not going to focus as much of his energy on football? That's the real question, obviously, with Rosen. Um, real quickly, I did meet him down at the Super Bowl, or up at the Super Bowl in Minnesota, uh, at, at a party the day before the game, uh, just briefly. I mean, uh, just a matter of a couple of minutes. So 
adolescence than what you had said. And, and I watched him, though, as I walked away. He reminded me like Eli Manning. And I've covered Eli um, as, as, as the beat writer for the Star Ledger from 04 when Eli first came in uh, to 2012 when I left for USA Today. And, and the way that he was watching the room and taking everything in was very Eli-esque. Where he just he's always always seems like he's computing. He's always looking out of the corners of his eyes right. to see what's going on and taking everything in. I thought to myself, boy, if that's the case and he's got that trait as far as knowing what's going on around him at all times, it's a pretty good one to have in New York, and 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 that works for Eli. Uh, and Eli's not as as uh, or excuse me. Uh, yeah, well, Eli's not as vocal as Josh Rosen, I should say that. I think you're going to get a little bit of different personality. I don't want to compare their personalities so much. Um, but I did, I did strike me. It's just, it's just a feeling that I have. I'm having a, a hard time articulating it, Peter. No, but I, I understand I exactly what I you're see, saying. You know? Yeah. And I think also, uh, just based on, on people that I've talked to around him, I think he would embrace New York I don't think he's, he's shunning Cleveland or, or Buffalo or Denver or anybody else. I don't believe that. But I really do believe that he would love to come to New York. And I think if he had his preference, it would, it would probably be with the Jets. I, he, Jeremy Bates, the Jets offensive coordinator, uh, is very highly thought of. And he's also a very intellectual guy. So I think that that would be a great marriage, Bates and Rosen, really do. If it comes down to Rosen Mayfield... Do you believe right now, in your eyes, it's a coin flip uh, as to who they'll take, or do you have a gut feeling one or the other? I, I, my gut tells me Rosen, just because um, I, I, this this seems like maybe the most important. Here comes the hyperbole: the most important pick in Jets history. I don't know, but I, I just you've got the general manager and the coach who signed extensions, but those were short-term extensions through the 2020 season, which only guarantees you that you're going to be paid through the 2020 season. Mike McCagney gave up all those second-round picks when, let's be honest, this is an incomplete roster, and there is depth needed on this roster. So he gave up a lot in the next few years to come up and get whatever quarterback he is going to take. They have to get this one right. And, and it's yes, it's a long-term decision, and they've got to get it right in the long term. But they've also got to see some kind of immediate return from this guy, whether it's you know a little bit of a flash in the preseason, whether it's something on the practice field, just something to show ownership. We've got the right guy because other than winning games, the best way to keep your job is to show that you've got the quarterback, you've got him right, he's moving in the right direction. So the stakes are just incredibly high. And when I think about that, I think, okay, which one would I go with if my job was on the line or if I'm the owner Christopher Johnson and my my franchise right now is 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 kind of on the line as far as what's going to happen in the next I, couple of years. I, I lean to the bigger guy. I lean to the more prototypical guy yeah. and not the wild card, the shorter guy. That's, and that's you know why what else? I, I you way. know what else it, it, it has become? Two or three people in the league have have said this to me about Mayfield, and believe me, I really like Mayfield, and I think a lot of people around the league really like Baker Mayfield, but. Yeah. A lot of people have started to think, man, this guy's got rabbit ears, doesn't he? He really starts yeah. to get ticked off when he hears Colin Coward he's angry at. He's at you know, he, yeah. he reads all this stuff. And I think I, I mean I think somebody's gotta get to him and say, Hey kid, you know what? Stay off the internet, will you? 
You know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've got to do it in this market. That is for darn sure, Peter. Yeah. You cannot have that kind of... And listen, I just said a couple minutes ago that Rosen kind of sees everything, and he's got a touch of that, too. He's going to have to uh, put the earmuffs on at times if he's yep. in this market or, or wherever he is, no doubt about it. Uh, but you've got to be able to internalize it, and you've got to be able to use it to fuel you rather than hinder you. Two other quick things, Mike. Uh, tell me, what's the fate of Christian Hackenberg? I think they're going to try and trade him. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't. Sometimes you get a, you, okay, former second round pick, so this could net us a, a, a pick instead of cutting this guy right. But then you think there's a lot of people around the league who said that guy is not a second round pick; he's much lower. So uh, I would think my, if they my, could get a conditional seven for him, they'd probably be happy. That's my gut feeling. Uh, they, they should be because they get anything back for him at this point. And 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 frankly, I just don't know. Uh, it was a head scratcher last year what they did with this kid and just not really giving him the chance. Uh, Isn't it amazing? I mean, I know. Thirty-two games, yeah. thirty-two games employed as an NFL quarterback, and he's never played a snap. That's just weird. And it's not like it's not <laughs> like the bulk of those games were meaningful games. I mean, they yeah. started off good this year, but there were plenty of chances to say, "Hey, this game." Look what the Giants did last year. As soon as they were out of playoff contention, I'm not saying I advocated it, but they said, "Well, we've got to see what Davis Webb brings us." I mean, the Jets. Nobody expected them coming into the season to make the playoffs. As soon as you're out of it, let the kid go out there and take a shot. I, I don't. I, it, it's head scratcher is an understatement on that one. Yeah, it's it's, and I will always say it's idiotic that uh, that the Giants never let uh, you know never really gave never gave Davis Webb a shot. I mean, I can yeah. tell you, and I mean, you know, you you you're around that Pat Shermer's scratching his head and said, "Why don't I have uh, 50 snaps of?" Davis right. Webb to look at so I can I can have some sort of opinion on this guy that isn't two or three years old. But anyway, yeah, that, that, that was and that, well, real quick. That was that was part of the plan. You know, they went to Geno Smith, but it was okay. Geno's going to get work, and then yeah. Davis Webb is going to get work. But then once they went back to Eli, they couldn't reverse field that. Yeah. Uh, last thing, so you cover not just the Jets, not just the Giants, but the league. Tell me if there's going to be a surprise say Thursday or Friday, maybe somebody gets dealt, maybe some shock trade, maybe some somebody picks somebody really strange in this draft. What would what would you say will wake up maybe Friday morning and said, Man, I didn't see that one coming? I would say, well there's so much and so much has been speculating. You know, if I said to you like the Ravens take Lamar Jackson, um I, I think enough people have speculated that it wouldn't be a complete shock. But what if the Pittsburgh Steelers at the back of the first round uh, took a quarterback, made a move to, to take a quarterback, did something, did, did a Kansas City Chiefs Patrick Mahomes type move? Uh, and I don't know if they climb all the way up the, the way the, the Chiefs did, but I, I think that that could create some uh, some headlines and, and a unique situation in Pittsburgh uh, because we focus so much on Eli Manning because the Giants have that top pick uh, that I think we're forgetting about the you know the the the, the Chargers the. Uh, I mentioned the Ravens, the uh, Saints, the, the, the teams with aging quarterbacks that aren't in that top five. I feel like one of them is just going to make an aggressive move, go up, get a quarterback, and all of a sudden that's going to be the, wow, can't believe that they've got that aggressive while still having Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, or Drew Brees. That's what I'm looking at on, on the back end of the first round. 
I love that, and believe me, I'm going to steal that for my own as my biggest surprise, and I'm not going to give you any you credit go. when it happens. <laughs> hey, that's okay. My <laughs> former colleague, Steve Felitti, who I know has made your column plenty of times, I said something in here about the Jets. I said, if they don't take a quarterback, these people are going to be storming the facility. I'm hopping in my car and running out of here. It made the second graph of his column today. So I'm going to Mike, listen, really appreciate it. Have a great draft weekend. I think we're going to have a lot of fun this weekend. Can't wait, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to my guests, Adam Schefter, Albert Breer, Greg Cosell, and Mike Garofolo. If you enjoyed these Draft Week conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Chris Mortensen. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Zip Recruiter and Buffalo Wild Wings. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.